Hello everyone. Welcome to episode 8 of the Good Faith Idea Exchange. For today's episode, we're going to be talking mental health. Um, More specifically, we're going to be focusing on PTSD. Now, I got the chance to sit down with uh, Dr. William Unger. Um, And Dr. Unger is currently a clinical psychologist at the Providence VA Healthcare System in the Trauma Recovery Service. He has been there for more than 32 years. Also, he is currently a VA consultant and trainer for Cognitive Behavioral Conjoint Psychotherapy for PTSD, and is also an associate clinical professor at Brown University. Uh, Dr. Unger also served as the PTSD clinic clinical director for eight years, and then as the chief of the PTSD clinic for 16 years. So long story short, if there's anyone who can tell us more about trauma, trauma recovery, and more about PTSD, this would be the person. So as I always say, sit back, relax, and enjoy. So I guess first off, let's um, let's just jump right into it. First, if you could please tell me a little bit about your background. Um, you know, how long have you worked in the Providence uh, VA healthcare system, and where did you initially go to school? You know, that sort of thing. So I've been at the Providence VA healthcare system for the past thirty-two years. I was a psychology intern at the Boston VA prior to coming to Providence and took a postdoctoral position on a research grant when the VA funded the first 21 PTSD programs. So I've been part of the PTSD program for with the VA since the very beginning. When I started, I was the uh, coordinator for the PCT team, which is a uh, post-traumatic disorder clinical team. I then was the clinical director of the PTSD program and then the chief of the PTSD program for 16 years. Uh, I've also served as the evidence-based psychotherapy coordinator at the uh, Providence healthcare system, VA healthcare system. And uh, currently I am a VA national uh, consultant trainer for uh a couples-based treatment for PTSD called cognitive behavioral conjoint therapy. Wow. And I'm also an uh, associate clinical professor at Brown University. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, this, this is, this is really great uh, to be able to speak to someone with so much experience in this field. Uh, Again, I want to thank you for sitting down with me uh, today. So, okay. So my understanding is uh, the area you work in that it's called the PTSD clinic, but this was renamed to the trauma recovery service. What do you do at the trauma recovery service? Well, we focus on trauma and PTSD was the first psychiatric diagnosis, which identified a traumatic experience as part of the onset of the disorder. So It was the only trauma-related disorder for many years, but that has since changed. And unfortunately, one of the clearest and 
evidence for trauma affecting people in many different ways happened in New York and actually our entire country after 9-11. The overall incidence of post-traumatic stress disorder in New York City really didn't increase much above the national level, but you saw a lot of other mental health disorders which were associated directly with that experience. You saw people with depression, anxiety, panic disorder, alcohol use, substance use. And so the onset of all of these conditions was really post the 9-11 experience. And the mental health profession as an overall uses the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Assigning Diagnoses. And now there is a whole trauma category of various disorders. So we changed our name really with the understanding that trauma impacts people's health in many different ways, not just PTSD. And so we treat trauma-related disorders in my program. Wow. Gotcha. Well, what made you want to work with, with veterans um, specifically? And, and, and what has made you continue to do it for such a long time? So I will be honest and say that that was not the area I thought when I was in graduate school that I would focus on. But I went to train at the National Center for PTSD in Boston because Dr. Terrence Keene was there and he was one of the developers of the original diagnosis and uh, had an opportunity to be trained and supervised by him. And so I thought, well, what better opportunity is that to get in on uh, basically a new disorder? And when I went there, uh, I realized that working with veterans was extremely rewarding work for me because these were people who put their lives on the line for all of us. Right. And uh, to be able to give something back to them and to help them and how appreciative they are, that that first year made me decide that I really very much wanted to stay within the VA. And so was offered a position in Providence, a postdoctoral position at that point, and which was a research grant for about three years and moved down to Providence and really have enjoyed, continued to enjoy the work and to be able to, to help our, our, our veterans who are, are well-deserving of anything we can do to, to help them. Gotcha. That's, um, that's really awesome. And you know, for one, being a veteran, I'm very thankful that you know, we have people like you, um, people with, especially people with your level of knowledge and experience, um, you know, taking care of us. That's really... It's really awesome. Well, can you tell me in um, in your own words what you know? What exactly is PTSD? Where does it come from? What are the primary symptoms? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So, as I said, it's basically a mental health disorder that follows from a traumatic experience, okay. and it's most typically um, identified as one which there are specific nightmares uh, associated with an actual event, recurrent, unwanted, uh, intrusive memories of that event. There is um, increased startle response. Veterans with PTSD have hypervigilance, which is different than vigilant. Most of us are careful, vigilant, and aware. This is a whole different level of uh, vigilance, which is very taxing. And so as a result of that, there are a number of other 
symptoms, I think, which are, are associated with difficulty sleeping and problems concentrating and not being able to uh, have positive uh, feelings, feeling distant from others. And perhaps the, the most classic is avoidance behavior. So avoidance behaviors are other than what we colloquially think of as an avoidance. We all make clinical choice. We all make, I'm sorry, everyday choices not to do things like we don't want to watch something on television. So we turn the channel. It's raining outside. So we decide not to go out. Well, so that's, you know, in the in an everyday sense, that is an avoidance. But in the clinical sense, it's really engaging in a damaging behavior. So the people who drink to pass out or not to think about what happened to them, they do that because it decreases maybe some of the overwhelming symptoms that they have with the nightmares or the intrusive thoughts or the hypervigilance. And so they try to numb that out or avoid it as it, as it were. So this is a key symptom uh, for understanding how that impacts people's uh, behaviors because some folks will avoid everyday things because they see it as really a threat. And some veterans can't go into crowded areas or drive on. More recently, um, veterans are turning uh, from the Middle East where convoys and IEDs are, 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 are areas of more common trauma. That's probably the most common place with, that uh, our veterans are injured there. So they, if there's a piece of trash or something in the highway, you know, they, they have a response to that. So they don't drive, they don't go places. Um, so for me in understanding and trying to explain to other people what PTSD is like, I use an analogy of an infected wound to understand because most of us get nicks and scratches and cuts in our, in our everyday experience, just like we have, you know, negative encounters here and there, but we kind of move on from them in our everyday life. And with the nicks and scratches, maybe we wash our hands and put a little um, antiseptic on it or bandage and we're fine. But when it comes to a traumatic experience, it's like one of those injuries the cut gets infected and people have tried to use the same techniques to manage it, wash it and put a bandage on it, maybe put a bigger bandage on it. But because it's infected, it doesn't go away. People tighten the bandage and they do all kinds of things to kind of bury it or cover it over. But that doesn't really treat the infection. And what we need to do to help them with that is, you know, you have to take the bandage off. You have to open up the wound and wash it out with the antiseptic to get rid of the the infection. And so that's kind of like de with dealing with the trauma, we need to address it. And it's, that can be very uncomfortable and painful for people to do, but that, that process, even though it's part of, it's painful, is part of the healing. It's not part of the pathology. And once the wound is washed out and healed, there may always be a scar there, just like the memory may remain of what happened. There'll never be a happy memory. So there'll always be a scar there, but there is no more uh, infection. And so the person can move forward again with their life. That's a very great, that's a very interesting way of putting it. And I think that's a very great way to get the point across of, you know, how, it, how it might feel and, you know, what, you know, making sense of what needs to be done to address, to address it. So you've obviously dealt with PTSD and, and other traumas among, you know, the veteran and, and the military population for, for a long time. What would you say the prevalence, you know, would you say the prevalence of this, of this disorder has grown over the past 30 years or 
or has it lessened or has it grown within a specific demographic? And if so, where, you know, where has that growth been seen the most? So I think if we look at, you know, the general population numbers have nationally have remained fairly constant. You know, obviously one of the biggest areas are for combat veterans, people who have suffered civilian traumas of some sort. So that's actually the number one predictor of who might develop PTSD or trauma-related disorder mm-hmm. is identification of a trauma. And sometimes that's, that's kind of difficult. Not everybody wants to come forward with that information. And that can make it a little difficult to, to diagnose and to understand because symptoms may be there and they may overlap with other disorders. And when the person is interviewed and questioned about traumatic experiences, they really don't want to share them. And we know, we know of this because for those folks who then enter treatment, that information often comes forward. So in terms of a, a group, the number one group would be folks that have suffered some kind of a significant trauma uh, in their life. And so how does, that, how does that manifest? How does that impact their behavior and their mental and emotional health moving forward? Okay. Okay. Well, um, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing people who suffer from PTSD? Well, I think that's actually one of them, as I just mentioned, is being being willing to admit that this has 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 occurred. In our facility, there was a a large uh, mural at one point, which I think with the remodeling was has has no longer it's no longer there. There are other things. It used to uh, it said that it takes the heart of a warrior to ask for help, and so I think that is a big piece of what happens because I don't have a statistic for this, but for every veteran that walks in their door, there are many that don't. And you know, I think when they come come home and get out of the service, they oftentimes say to themselves, you know, I just went through all that. I'm home. I'm back with my family. I'm back with my life. Everything is going to be okay. And for many of them, it's absolutely true, but for some it's not. And so here it is again, addressing that I really need to help that becomes really the big first step. That's really the first step. Hmm. I guess that kind of goes into my next question, sort of an average Joe level question, but uh, you know, what can we as regular people do to fight against PTSD if, if we suffer from it? Well, seek help is kind of my, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in this possession, position and my profession because I, I believe we can help. And so seeking out a professional to address this, and there can be many ways. Sometimes uh, folks really feel more comfortable with talking to their primary care physician. Could be somebody that they know for a long time, even sometimes from, from the time they're young adults and, this, and discuss with them what is going on and start working with somebody that you trust that way is certainly one way. Rhode Island is sort of a very tight community and I, I always, I'm, I'm originally from New York and I, I kind of kid people around here where there's usual, usually six levels of separation for, for most folks elsewhere. It's only one and a half in Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that. 
And so, you know, using um, the resources and uh, there are, you know, there's VAs, there are, there are community health centers, uh, there are vet center programs also, which is VA. Most, I think, uh, professionals understand, have a broader understanding of the role of trauma now and how it might impact someone. So approaching, approaching a professional asking for help would be, the, would be the way to go. Gotcha. That actually went into my next question. Um, I mean, are, are, there, are there any other key initiatives, like any, you know, anything specifically, I guess, uh, underway locally or, or even outside of the state? that can help help us fight back against this and and other sorts of trauma well so i think there are uh, again this, so if you think about what we're, what i've talked about in terms of the impact uh, of trauma uh there are there are a number of organizations um and we're talking if we talk and the, I, i'm more familiar with veteran organizations so Obviously, the VA is a huge one with regard to that, but there are programs like the Wounded Warriors. There's uh, programs, um, the, the Stand Down uh, program. Right. There are a lot of programs that are, that are out there like that. Uh, there are community organizations, which you know we, we have worked with. In fact, the VA has a yearly mental health summit where we invite local VA and local community uh, mental health programs to come to the VA and to kind of talk about overall mental health needs within the state and how we can sort of dovetail with each other in terms of the services that we provide. So that's, that is actually something that happens at least once a year across, across the country within VA, reaching out to the community. Okay. Okay. You know, now I guess comes the obvious question. You know, this past year has kind of been the year of um, the year of COVID. How has COVID? How would you say COVID has affected you know these efforts? So um, it has it has not been helpful. I can tell you that. Right. It, uh, I think, like everyone, we we have the VA had already started doing telehealth. Uh, prior to all of this. In fact, we had a whole program developed uh, for delivering uh, telehealth services to veterans who might be might not be able to come into the VA uh, because of distance or for some other reasons. And so we were able to expand upon that existing program. And so much of the work that I do right now is is telehealth. And so we offer the same services via, you know, via telehealth. So I think it, it has impacted folks because sometimes veterans themselves are reluctant to make use of telehealth for a lot of different reasons. Some may not may not feel that they have the technical abilities or um, experience to to use those the formats. VA has um, at the National Center for PTSD, there is a website which has information for family members, for veterans. There are mobile apps that are available free to anybody, but there's a mobile app called PTSD Coach. There's a mindfulness coach. There's a PTSD family coach. So these are all applications that folks can use um, 
to get more information and to provide, to get some services to, to assist them. Okay. Well, okay. Well, how would you say, how would you say COVID has affected your job in the trauma recovery service? Well, so it's affected the job. In fact, that we were not able to see people to face people face to face, which would be my preferred way of doing it. And I think that's probably true for a number of uh, veterans. We have, I do individual couples and group work, and I do continue to have groups. I have a group of veterans who didn't want to do video conferencing, so we do telephone conferencing. I have another group that we, I do do uh, video conferencing uh, with. And so it's really having to use that technology, which has really impacted um, the the programs that they're not face to face, which would be, you know, I, I think our first choice and the veterans' first choice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes plenty of sense. Are there any other special initiatives underway um, that you'd like to mention? Um, um there's there's a lot. There's um, a program that um, called About Face. And I think there's, it's, a, it's a whole program uh, and it's videos of veterans who have dealt with trauma and they've talked about their journey back from trauma and their experiences through treatment and various things. So these are available online. It's called About Face Program. And uh, it's a, a lot of very powerful stories for people to listen to um, about healing. And getting your back, you know, getting your life moving forward again. I think oftentimes people think well, I need, I want to get my life back. Even in the best of circumstances, we can never go back to who we were. I can't go back to who I was two years ago, but I can go forward in a positive direction. And so this is, this is, you know, it's about moving forward in a, in a positive direction. Okay. That sounds interesting. I might, I might check that out myself. I probably will. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's pretty much all that I had, doctor. Um, I, I want to thank you again so much for sitting down with me for this. You know, thank you for, so much for your time today. Oh, it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. It was nice to talk to you. All right. So this concludes my interview with Dr. Unger. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed what we talked about today, just take a minute and hit the subscribe button. Whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Google or, you know, whatever you're on, take a moment to hit subscribe. Be sure to rate the podcast. Just let me know how you think I'm doing. And that's about it. Have a great day, everyone.